Welcome to the Mulcahy Law Firm Podcast. For over 25 years, Mulcahy Law Firm has helped plan communities and condominium associations throughout the state of Arizona. Please go to iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform and leave us a rating and a review. Here's Beth Mulcahy. Great to see you here today. My name is Beth Mulcahy from the Mulcahy Law Firm, and we're just getting started on our 2022 virtual HOA Condo Academy, class number four. Thanks so much for joining us here today on Zoom and on Facebook Live. We've got a lot of topics we're going to be discussing today. The main topic is going to be tips on how to handle difficult and disgruntled owners. And we're also going to be covering a few other topics on new legislation that has been signed into law and also a new case law talking about amending CCNRs. Let's get started. We teach this condo academy in partnership with the cities of Avondale, Chandler, Glendale, Goodyear, Mesa, Peoria, Phoenix, Surprise, Scottsdale, and Tempe. My name is Beth Mulcahy, and I am the managing partner and senior attorney for the Mulcahy Law Firm in Phoenix, Arizona. I've enjoyed representing HOAs and condominiums for the past 25 years, soon to be 26 years in May. And my firm currently represents over a thousand planned communities and condominium associations throughout the state of Arizona. I also currently serve on my HOA board and I have for many years. So what's on our agenda for today? We're going to start today's class with an exciting update on the 2022 legislative session for the Arizona legislature. We have two bills that have already been signed into law by Governor Ducey that directly pertain to HOAs and condominiums. And we're also going to give a summary of these bills and how they may affect your particular associations. We're also going to be discussing a new decision by the Arizona Supreme Court pertaining to amending CCNRs and the right to amend CCNRs. And then the main topic for today's class is going to be how to deal with difficult people. We'd like to say that serving on your association board can be a thankless job that also comes with having to deal with conflict between homeowners and the board and sometimes between board members themselves and also dealing with homeowner conflict are all different types of conflict that we see in our practice area and that we help condos and HOAs handle and manage. Today, we're gonna go through some tips and tricks for handling difficult and disgruntled owners including how to deal with conflict during meetings, strategies for how to respond in difficult situations, and how to stop harassment if it's crossing over to the level that you need to get court intervention. And as always, we're going to have a free Q&A at the end of the class, so we encourage you to continue to submit your questions in the Q&A box on Zoom or in the comments section on Facebook Live, and we promise we will answer all of your legal questions during this session today. Typically, we spend about an hour on the presentation and then we have about a half an hour, maybe a little longer if we have a lot of questions just for the Q&A portion. We ask that you please limit it to one question, one per person, and please be specific in your question as sometimes it's hard for follow-up when we're teaching these classes virtually to follow up on any questions we may have on the question that's submitted. So try to be really specific in your question and keep it nice and concise so that we know exactly what you're asking. Okay, first things first, I always like to know who's in my audience. So tell me about yourselves here today. And the best way that we can do that is if you're joining us on Zoom, we're going to be sharing a poll on your screen. If you're joining us on Facebook Live, please share your response in the comments section. 
First question is, which city do you reside? The second question would let us know your current role with the association. Are you a board member, community member, interested homeowner, maybe you're a property manager, like I said. Let us know so that we can best tailor our presentation today for you. Okay, the results are coming in. Looks like we're having great representation from a lot of cities, towns, and municipalities. So happy to see such a wide representation here today. Okay, so we have 3% from Avondale, 6% from Chandler, 9% from Glendale. We have 6% from Mesa, 9% from Peoria. Let's see, and I'm gonna go down here a little bit. 33% from Phoenix, which is awesome. 18% from Scottsdale, 12% from Surprise. And last but not least, 3% from Tempe. So thank you so much, everybody, for joining us here today from all these different cities. We have almost every city in the Valley represented here today with really strong percentages from Phoenix, Scottsdale, Surprise, and Glendale as well. So great job. Okay, let's talk about our second poll. What is your current role? How are you involved in HOAs and condos? So we have 73% of you here today are board members for your association. Does that mean that you have a lot of difficult owners? Let's think about that. We have 6% of you are community managers, 12% are interested homeowners, and 9% are others that are in our industry. So welcome to all of you. It's so great to see so many different cities represented and so many different key players in associations here today. Okay, I'm going to delve into now talking about the new legislation and our Arizona legislature is in session. They've been in session now for about three months, almost four months. And I'd like to introduce an associate attorney in our firm by the name of Hayden DiLorenzo. And Hayden's going to be talking here today with us about the most recent updates from the 2022 Arizona legislative session. I hope I'm not going to embarrass Hayden, but I'm going to tell you some fun facts on her. First, she's an associate attorney on our team and for the team for our law firm, Mulcahy Law Firm. And her practice is focusing exclusively on the representation of HOAs and condos as an attorney for our firm. Here's some fun facts on Hayden. She's an Arizona native. She's a double Sun Devil, so she's an Arizona State University double graduate for undergrad and law school. And while she was at ASU Law School, she was in an acapella group called the Law Capellas. I promise, Hayden, I'm not going to make you sing for us here today, but maybe at a future, for future neighborhood services class. Okay, Hayden's going to be also leading our monthly virtual Friday, first Friday free call-in on May 6th for our firm. And she's going to be answering your legal questions live like we, we always do. And so make sure that you don't forget to join us on May 6th for our first Friday free call-in, which is virtual. Keep an eye out for email reminders and our weekly Mulcahy memo for any updates and the link to submit questions for first Fridays on May 6th. Okay, I'm going to turn the mic over now to Hayden for a quick update on what's happening at the Arizona legislature right now. Hayden, all yours. Thanks, Beth. I had a song prepared and everything. I guess I'll save it for next time. <laughs> all right. Hi, everybody. As Beth said, my name is Hayden DiLorenzo, and I'm an associate attorney here at Mulcahy Law Firm. For those of you who've been reading our weekly Mulcahy Memo emails or have joined us for our other virtual educational seminars, that Mulcahy Law Firm has been monitoring the Arizona legislature throughout this year and has been providing updates about the progress of bills pertaining to planned communities. The Arizona legislature is just now starting the tedious process of approving the budget, 
So there may not be a lot of HOA and condo law bill discussion over the next few weeks. Since the end of March, two bills relating to community associations have been signed into law. So the first one of those is going to be HB 2131, and that is relating to artificial grass, and it is the prohibition on banning artificial grass. So this was signed by Governor Ducey on March 30th, 2022. This bill adds ARS Section 33-1819 to planned communities only. So this one doesn't apply to condominiums, planned communities only. So I'll just go into what that bill says and what that's going to mean for planned communities. So the first thing that the bill says is that if a planned community's documents allow natural grass on a member's property after the time of developer control, the association may not prohibit installing or using artificial turf on any member's property. Now, a planned community can adopt reasonable rules regarding, one, the installation and appearance of the artificial turf, so long as those rules don't prevent installing artificial turf in the same manner that natural grass would be allowed by the community documents. And a planned community can also adopt reasonable rules regarding the location on the property and percentage of the property that may be covered with artificial turf to the same extent as natural grass and may also regulate the quality of the artificial turf. The plan community can require the removal of a member's artificial turf if the artificial turf creates a health or safety issue that the member does not correct. And then they can also require the removal or replacement of the artificial turf if it's not maintained in accordance with the association's standard for maintenance. So our firm has been asked recently what some examples of artificial turf health and safety issues would look like. One that immediately comes to mind for me, owners allowing pets to urinate and defecate on the turf and then failing to clean the turf on a regular basis. So that's one thing that might require removal of the, or might allow removal of the artificial turf if, if the member doesn't correct that issue. Additionally, there is some discussion from some people that artificial turf may cause cancer. Of course, this is disputed, so it's not confirmed, but that is a concern that some people have. Okay, a planned community can prohibit the installation of artificial turf in the following situations. So first, if it's installed in an area the association maintains or irrigates. For example, this might be in a common area or front yard area that the association has the responsibility of maintaining under the association's CCNRs. And a planned community can also prohibit the installation of artificial turf if a planned community prohibits the new installation of natural grass on a member's property. So this one exception to this is that in, in that instance, is that an association may not prohibit a member from converting natural grass to artificial turf on the member's property. And then if a court finds that a planned community violates this law, a court shall award reasonable attorney's fees and costs according to this bill. So that's definitely something to be on the lookout for. It's something to keep in mind. This A violation of this law could end up being expensive for your association. Now, this law doesn't apply to a planned community that has unique vegetation and geologic characteristics that require preservation by the association and in which the viability of those characteristics is protected, supported, or enhanced as a result of the continued existence of natural landscaping materials. So that's just something to keep in mind as well. Okay, and the next bill that's been signed into law is going to be HB 2158, which deals with homeowners associations, political and community activity. 
This was signed by Governor Ducey on April 13th, 2022. And this applies to planned communities and condominiums. This law allows members to display association-specific political signs on the member's property from the date an association provides its members written or absentee ballots for a specified election until three days after the election. So what are association-specific political signs? So these are going to be signs that support or oppose a board candidate for an election, such as an annual meeting or a removal election, or a ballot measure that requires a membership vote. So associations can limit the total dimension of the member's signs to no more than nine square feet and can prohibit the use of profanity and discriminatory text, images, or content based on race, color, religion, sex, familial status, or national origin as prescribed by federal or state fair housing law. Interestingly, these signs can be homemade and an association cannot pass any other rules and regulations except for those under this law, which I just mentioned. And then another part of this new law states that HOA and condominium associations cannot prohibit or unreasonably restrict a unit owner or member's ability to peacefully assemble and use common elements of the community indoors and outdoors if done in compliance with reasonable restrictions for the use of that property adopted by the board of directors. So under this law, what can members assemble to discuss? Some examples of this would be to discuss association business or to have a political candidate or a non-member guest to speak about matters pertaining to the communication. HOAs and condominiums are required to allow members to post notice of these types of meetings on bulletin boards located on or within the association. So these two bills will become law 91 days after the legislative session is over. It's difficult to predict when exactly the legislative session will end, but the session usually ends a week or so after the budget is passed. So our firm is closely watching several other HOA and condo bills in the Arizona legislature, such as the first responder flag bill and others that have a chance of passing this year. Each week the Arizona legislature is in session, our firm posts an updated summary of the pending HOA and condo bills. You can find this weekly updated summary with updates on all HOA and condo bills on the homepage of our firm's webpage at www.mukahilawfirm.com. And we will also share this with you on Zoom and Facebook Live now. And with that, I think I'll go ahead and turn the mic back over to Beth for the main topic for today. And I look forward to seeing you all again on Friday, May 6th, 2022 at 9 a.m. for our firm's virtual first Friday free call-in. Thanks. Okay, great job, Hayden. Thank you for the updates on the two new cases that have been signed into law by the governor, the one on prohibiting artificial turf, and then the other one on political assembly and political signage for HOA and condo issues. It's going to be really interesting to see how all these bills play out. Being in this industry for such a long time, we've seen a lot of interesting things happen with removal meetings and board elections. And I'm just very curious how this new law is actually going to be once we start seeing owners become aware of it and exercising their rights under the new law. So stay tuned. We're sure there's going to be lots of questions on that and we're ready, willing and able to help you as those arise in the future.
Okay, I'm going to briefly talk about a new Arizona Supreme Court ruling that a lot of people in our industry are talking about. This case is the Callaway versus Calabria Ranch HOA LLC. And one thing that I have found to be a really successful strategy as I've navigated practicing in this area of representing associations for a quarter of a century is that it's always best not to overreact and overcorrect when something happens in our practice area. So I can remember back in the early, late 90s, early 2000s, when we would see new legislation that, that kind of was passed that changed how we did things. And initially, there's a little bit of a shock that there's such a big change. But then we really think about how we can strategize and navigate any new changes and developments in our practice area. And so this case is just like that, where our firm's position is, we're going to be sharing the link. So if you want to read it, you certainly can. The Arizona Supreme Court definitely made a ruling here that's going to limit the types of amendments that associations that are condominiums and planned communities will be able to do on their association's CCNRs. Basically, the ruling in the cases is that a general amendment provision that's used to amend the restrictions for which the HOA's original declaration has provided sufficient notice, these amendments have to be reasonable and foreseeable. And the covenants can be, the CCNRs can be amended to refine it, correct an error, fill in a gap, or change it in some particular way, so long as the amendment is reasonable and foreseeable. So some things to think about as we're navigating this new case. Well, first of all, this really is only going to come into play if your association is thinking about doing an amendment to your CCNRs. And if that's the case, every set of CCNRs is different. So it's hard for me to generalize and say language in all CCNRs is a general amendment provision and it may limit how, what types of amendments that you can do if it's not specifically listed in there, that this certain section can be amended in the future. So what we're recommending you do is that if your association is thinking about passing CCNR amendments, or you're actually in the process of drafting CCNR amendments, make sure that you're reaching out to your legal counsel to discuss this new case so that you're aware of any liabilities that may come into play if you're doing widespread amendments and understanding procedures you're coming up with a strategy to limit the association's liability and we think that can be done by having strong language in your recitals provision that incorporates aspects of this case and proves through specific language in your CCNRs that you have the right to refine, correct an error, fill in a gap or change that particular provision in a certain way. So our best recommendation is if you're currently thinking about amending your CCNRs, this case isn't going to be a stop sign. It's basically going to be a good pause and reflect time where you want to make sure that you're structuring this in such a way that the amendment, if challenged, you will prevail in a court of law. And we're here to assist your association. If you're in that position right now and you want some advice on how to best limit your liability, and put language in your amendments that will protect you in the event that somebody tries to challenge any amendments based on this new case. Okay, let's switch gears and talk about difficult and disgruntled owners. This has always been a popular topic in our office because let's face it, when you serve on your board, you have to deal with many different types of personalities. Some people are so easy to work with and have great communication skills and 
can easily resolve problems with associations if there's some sort of a disagreement on something. And then there are some where it's just, it's a challenge every step of the way with some of the owners, or maybe it's, maybe even it's a board member in your association. So I'm just curious, we're going to do a little poll here for those of us who are on Zoom. And I'm asking you, does your association have a difficult owner that's causing problems for your board or maybe hijacking board meetings or writing poison pen letters to your neighborhood? Probably if you're on the board, you'll know. Specifically, maybe if you're a homeowner, you won't know. So 93% of you have said here today that you have a difficult owner in your association. That's probably the highest percentage I think I've ever seen on any of these polls. I'm sure if you're joining us on Facebook Live, share with us too in the comment section if your association has a difficult owner by just saying yes, and we'll know what that means. Okay, as a starting point, many years ago, we wrote a cheat sheet. Our firm has over 60 cheat sheets on different topics that pertain to HOAs and condos, board members. Even useful for homeowners are finding them really helpful. We have a great one called Dealing with Difficult People and Harassment. And this should be your go-to resource as you're navigating a difficult owner or maybe even disagreements between board members if you have a difficult board member. This is your go-to in order to give you some tips and suggestions on how to best manage that situation. First things first, let's be real here. Every association has at least one difficult owner. It's That's just the way it works. And the poll shows that here, 93% said they did, 7% said they didn't, which kind of, they didn't know. And 0% said no. I'm guessing the people that didn't know may not be in the know, may not be on the board. With the pandemic, we've seen a number of difficult situations and difficult personalities not being able to resolve issues with associations skyrocket. I think in part because people are home all the time, but also in part because it's just a difficult time. It has been a difficult time over the past few years in our country. So you're not alone. In fact, if you look at national and local news sources, all you have to do is Google HOA and harassment and HOA and difficult people and just watch the news and you'll see plenty of news stories on disgruntled owners who are unhappy with their association. Maybe even they act out in Ireland. Many years ago in Arizona, we had a very tragic situation for an association in the West Valley where we had a disgruntled former owner came back to the association and shot and killed several board members. This really, it's not just a matter of somebody's being difficult. Sometimes it actually crosses over into this person is a danger to the community and to board members, maybe even your independent contractors who work for the association, whether it's a management company, landscaper. These are serious issues. We really need to be careful how we handle these issues to protect everybody involved. And I think I want to just start out by saying that communication is key, is one of the most important things that we're going to talk about when you're handling a difficult and managing a difficult owner. So we want to try to diffuse tensions between an owner and the association before they evolve into full-blown harassment. And so one way to do that is to make sure that your association is following the Arizona Open meeting law and giving owners an opportunity to attend, listen, and participate in your open board meetings where you have a quorum of the board present discussing association business, communicating to your homeowners in between meetings, having a website with information available about the association, maybe your prior minutes, 
notices about things that are going on in our community, sending out regular communications to your members. These are all things that can promote a atmosphere of openness and transparency and it limits the perception of secrecy and doing things behind closed doors. So having good communication is a really good start so that people aren't getting agitated and becoming difficult and disgruntled. However, there will be times even when you're having effective communication skills where you're going to have an owner who is just difficult and disgruntled. And board members should listen to the complaint, remain professional, control their responses, meaning control your temper if you have one, and just listen and be professional in your response to respond to the problem. Additionally, board members should be calm and focused on the facts and establish a standard plan on how to respond to help diffuse volatile situations. Interestingly enough, I mentioned at the beginning of this presentation today that I serve on my board where I live in. Interestingly, this morning, I met with a disgruntled owner at our association who wanted to show me firsthand as a board member a problem at the community. And one thing that I was obviously a little bit rushed because I had this presentation this morning and I wanted to do a good job. The one thing that kind of came across to me as I was taking deep breaths and listening to this person was this person has just like a negative outlook on everything in life. And I'm a positive person. Like I try to wake up, I'm happy when I wake up in the morning, but this person has a disposition for negativity. So as I was listening to him go on and on about how the tennis courts at our association are horrible, I listened and I went to all the different areas that he showed me and I took notes. And towards the end of our conversation, I was really trying to get out of there because I'd already been 25 minutes. And I said to the gentleman, I said, just can I ask you one question? I said, overall, would you agree with me that the tennis courts are in pretty good condition? And he said, yes. And I said, would you agree that these are just some things that we could do to fine tune to make them better? And I agree that there's some things that really do need to be done. But overall, they're playable, people are using them, people love them. And he did kind of got out of his negative mind frame and he put a smile on his face. So I felt like I maybe diffused things a little bit, but also I told him that I was gonna take the notes that we made during our meeting and I was going to be giving them to the general manager and that I would be talking about them at our next board meeting. And that I agreed and understood his concerns and that we would be addressing them in the future. And that could have gone a totally different way. I really only have 30 minutes to spare this morning on this issue. And he was going on and on and I was getting a little amped up myself underneath. And I, that's when I really needed to take a deep breath and think about, I don't want this to go bad because I'm short on time and have him feel that I'm not listening to him. So I took a deep breath and I tried to direct our conversation into solving, problem solving mode versus complaining about the manager and complaining about the awning that had a ribbon it and all the other laundry list of things that he talked about. And I genuinely do think he walked away from that thinking that I listened to him and that we were moving in the positive direction. Now, I have to make sure that I send that list to the manager and follow up with what I promised that I said I would do and try to get some positive change in motion there.
it's important to know that when you're working with somebody who is difficult, and I mean, that's an easy, difficult owner, right? We've got, I've got examples of a lot of different difficult owners. Actually, I was on a call with the board last night where it was, there was a difficult situation with a board member. You can't control another individual's behavior, but you can control your response to it so that you don't make an already tense situation worse. Just making sure that as a board, when somebody comes in who's really upset, there's some really good tips that I can give you on how to handle it. Or maybe if you're meeting with an owner and the owner's really upset. So make sure that you're giving the members an opportunity to say what they're upset about or ask questions. And you may want to do that at coming to a board meeting. You may want to have a homeowner forum at the beginning of the meeting. Make sure that they're getting notice of the meetings because a very common complaint that we hear from owners is our board meets in secret because we don't know when the meetings are. So make sure that your board is publicizing in a manner that everybody would know that there's a meeting coming up and you have, of course, under Arizona law, you have to give 48 hours notice of any regular board meeting to have good communication with your owners so that you don't have them turning into disgruntled owners would be to have some town hall meetings. The first thing that I say to a board when they come to me and say, we've heard that there's a removal petition going around our community for a board member or multiple board members. The first thing I say to them is, you need to get out there and communicate better with your owners. And one way to do that would be to have a town hall meeting where you can do it virtually, you can do it in person, you can do a hybrid of that where the board is there to answer questions because I think any time there's a removal petition being circulated in the association, there really needs to be, the board really needs to be taking a hard look in the mirror and determining how things are going. And could we be better communicators? Could we be doing things differently so that people aren't so disgruntled that they are signing a petition to remove me as a volunteer from the community board? And so sometimes it hurts for board members to hear me say that, but I think that it's, it's a reality. And I think that you don't spend your whole life getting ready to serve on a volunteer board. You've had a whole different career, maybe you've had family or you've been in business and serving on the board is a new skill that you are working to manage and to become better at. And so one thing that I think is a great strategy, if you've got owners that are upset enough that they're submitting a petition to the community to remove a board member or board members, have that town hall meeting get in front of the problem and talk about the issues. Maybe they're upset about the condition of common areas. Maybe they think the special assessment was unfounded. Maybe they feel the board's being too secretive, whatever. Listen, and then consider changing your behavior based upon some of the things that they're saying. Another really important thing is when you have owners upset about something, make sure that you're responding in a timely manner to them. And if the owner is telling you that the management company isn't responding in a timely manner or is not responding at all, make sure that the board is overseeing the management company and telling the management company what your expectations are for responding to homeowner issues and complaints. Make sure that the members of the community have a contact name and a telephone number when issues arise that they can contact the associate and typically that's going to be your management company, but sometimes owners that are really upset about something can feel pretty helpless if they don't even know how to contact a decision maker at the association. 
think about having some surveys of your community before you take big steps. Like a real common issue right now is building pickleball courts in an association. And people have mixed feelings about pickleball. Some people love it because it's great exercise and it's fun and it's an activity that you can pick up later in life and still be good at it. Others don't like it because the noise of pickleball it has a very distinct ping, different from a tennis ball. And that would be a great thing to, if you're going to spend money to convert a tennis court to a pickleball court or actually build pickleball courts, have a survey and find out how people feel about it. Other survey questions would be converting a common area to maybe a dog park or just something that you think could potentially be controversial for your association, maybe short-term rentals. Do people want to put a minimum rental period in your CCNRs? That's a very hot topic right now. Just putting a survey out there so that you get feedback from your members so that you as a board can make better decisions about what the will of the community wants. Have a newsletter, have a really active webpage for your association. Maybe you are active on putting information about your association on Facebook page for your association or Instagram or maybe even next door. These are all ways that you can communicate better with your owners so that they aren't feeling that the board is not being transparent or that there's no information about how the money's being spent or whatever. Also, just one kind of final parting tip on, on good communication, have a really great annual meeting. So go in there and knock it out of the park as a board. I mean, I know you're volunteers, but that's game time. That's a day that or an evening where you present to your owners the state of the association and you let them know the financial information about the association and maybe some successes of the past year, maybe some things that you could have done better acknowledging that, hey, that didn't go exactly the way we wanted it to. We're sorry it took so long to resurface the pool. We'll do better in the future. Just providing a very good overview of what the past year has been like. And then also talk about the future. What's our one-year plan? What's our five-year plan? What's our 10-year plan for our community? That gives people a high level of comfort. And trust me, when you take all of these different suggestions that we've talked about here for better communication with your owners, this is going to make your time serving on the board a lot less stressful and you're going to have a lot fewer disgruntled owners. So the tips I'm giving you just at the beginning here are, okay, here are some tips that can prevent having a large number of disgruntled owners in your association just by fine-tuning, having good communication, and being transparent as a board so that everybody feels comfortable about how things are going at the association. Okay, let's talk a little bit about conflict and where do we see conflicts in an association? Sometimes we see them at a board meeting is the most common conflict. I also see them when we maybe have owners that are writing letters to the community or maybe they start up a, a satellite Facebook page for the association, disgruntled owners of ABC Association. First thing I would start out with just talking about board meetings. Most boards are meeting every month or every other month. And if there's conflict during the meetings, I can assure you that you're going to have board member burnout. Your management company is going to really start to think about, do we really want this community? And owners won't want to attend. You don't get anything done because literally you spend the whole meeting fighting. And so just as a starting point, if you have conflicts during your board meeting, a really great suggestion would be for the president to announce at the beginning of the meeting and the president should have the support of the rest of the board, at least the majority of the board just some general meeting rules on 
how to behave at a board meeting. And just I remember many years ago, my kids are 15 and 14 now, but I remember having been to a very difficult board meeting earlier in my career and my kids were in preschool and I went to the preschool open house and on the wall they had preschool goals. And I thought to myself, I remember taking a picture of it. I thought, hey, this is really like transferable to HOAs and condos. It's no name calling. Keep your hands to yourself. No personal attacks. No interrupting while the business of the meeting is going on. And so you may be able to tailor rules that are specific to your community. But just having those rules in place and revisiting them at the beginning of every board meeting, I think is a really smart way to start your meeting if you're having problems with conflicts during a meeting. So what do those conflicts sometimes look like? People talking out of turn, people yelling from the back of the room. It could be personal attacks, accusing the board of improprieties, whatever it is. You have to make sure that everybody understands this is a business meeting and we need to treat it like a business meeting. And there'll be a homeowner forum where if you want to say anything, you'll have a few minutes to do that for each owner or maybe 30 seconds, depending on how many people are there. But then when we get into the business of the meeting, these rules apply and you'll be asked to leave if you can't control yourself and stop interrupting the meeting if you're not on the board, etc. Sometimes you have board member conflicts at a meeting. Like I was at a meeting last night and I'm not going to say which one because I attended a couple, but we had full-blown conflict between board members during the board meeting last night. It's okay as a board and I serve on a board, so I can say it's okay to disagree about things. It's okay. As a matter of fact, sometimes it brings out the best in your board when you have somebody who doesn't always agree and all decisions aren't unanimous. But where it becomes difficult is where the board member conflict gets to a point where the behavior becomes unreasonable. Like when, like last night we were talking about, just generally speaking, how to interpret something in the documents. And I was asked to come in as the attorney for the association. And we had a group that was not agreeing with what the plain language of the documents was saying. And then we had another group on the board that was like, okay, listen, we've got the attorney here and this person's giving us an opinion and we should be at least giving this person the respect to listen to what they're saying and not say, you don't know what you're talking about, etc." And so classic example of board member conflict. I suggest that you resolve situations like this and how hopefully we resolved it last night is, we asked the dissenting group to state what their concerns were. And then we went through, most of them could be resolved, but there was one that couldn't. And then we decided to bring in like a surveyor to handle the question about whether something was a common area or a part of a unit. And that was the only way that we could definitively say that they were saying the plat map's wrong, et cetera, whatever. And, you know, that was the only way that we could definitively come to an agreement that, okay, whatever the surveyor says, the land surveyor, that's going to be the final say on this. And so trying to find some common ground is a really great way to handle board member conflict at board meetings. Number one, it's okay to have directors disagree. It's not okay to have people shouting at each other and saying, you don't know what you're talking about, and people storming out of board meetings, board members leaving board meetings, board members throwing resignation letters, or I quit, or whatever. That is not professional. That's not running a meeting in a professional manner. And so as president of 
any association. The president really needs to be the point guard that is guiding everybody back into acceptable meeting behavior. And maybe your board has some dysfunction on it. And maybe you need to think about having a boot camp. Like our firm helps boards with boot camps where there's a high level of dysfunction and they can't get anything done because they fight about everything. That doesn't help anybody. It's like, why serve on the board if you can't get anything done? They can't even pass the budget because they're fighting about the numbers. That's not healthy. And so maybe consider having an expert come in and mediate the disputes and remind everybody that, hey, the reason why we're all on this board is because we care about our community and maybe even set up some potential guidelines on how to limit board member conflict. Make sure that everybody on the board gets an opportunity to contribute on something if there's an issue on the table. One board member shouldn't be saying he's dominating all the discussion. You should be giving everybody on the board an opportunity to talk. If somebody's talking for long, too long, maybe the president needs to set up time limitations. If somebody on the board wants to, I've seen this happen before, where we have one board member who's very active in the community, and they were discussing a subject, and that board member talks, and then another board member talks, and then that active board member wants to talk again. So it's like two to one. So for every one board member, this board member has two times to talk. That really doesn't work. So giving everybody an opportunity to talk, putting reasonable time restrictions if the meetings are going really long and how long we're discussing subjects, mentor new board members so that they understand what it means to be on the board and what the main responsibilities of the board are. Reminding them that, hey, our fiduciary duty is to act in the best interest of the association. That means duty of care, duty of confidentiality, duty to avoid conflicts of interest, and just getting back to the basics of you really shouldn't be that caught up with, you know, whether or not we should fill in the jacuzzi. Yes, that's an important issue, but that shouldn't be a bridge burner, right? Can maybe have to agree to disagree if there's a decision on something that as a board member we don't really agree with, but that's the will of the community, or maybe that's the majority of the board. Sometimes as a board member, you have to understand that, understand this is a business and you've just been outvoted and move on and not be sour grapes about it. Sometimes you get a situation where you just can't resolve it, period. There's a board member that is really difficult and then maybe you need to get the attorney involved for your association and think about censuring that board member. Maybe they're disclosing confidential information. Maybe they are taking actions that are detrimental to the community outside of the board meeting. Again, these are some things that are problematic. Well, you may want to bring in an attorney to do a boot camp and talk about fundamentals and serving on the board and how we can resolve the conflict. You may want to consider having a code of conduct. So we have a great cheat sheet on a board member code of conduct and how to board members should be behaving in their time as a board. And so these are all some good suggestions on how to deal with board member conflict. Okay, let's switch over and talk a little bit about the difficult owner. What does that look like? So you're serving on your board and you're volunteering your time, right? You have other responsibilities in your life. You're really not expecting to spend 25, 30, 40 hours a week as a volunteer board member in your community. But sometimes the difficult owner can create a situation where they create so many problems that you, it becomes just, it's not fun to be on your board anymore. It's basically a hassle. Like you just dread it. You hate going to meetings. You, 
every time you open up your association email, you cringe because there's 10 emails from this difficult owner complaining about different things. And so what does a difficult owner look like? We have a name for him called a gadfly, and I lifted that from a publication from CAI from many years ago, like late 90s. And basically, a gadfly is somebody who loves to criticize. They love to pinpoint the errors of others. They want change. They want change that is favorable to whatever position they have. They interrupt board meetings. They send a high volume of emails. They make personal attacks on board members, board member spouses. They claim that board members don't have integrity. They may be taking kickbacks. And they allege that there's multiple conflicts of interest with board and vendors. And so sometimes gadflies can be a good thing because they keep everybody on your toes. But the majority of the time, gadflies are really a problem because they wear down the board, they wear down the management company, and they cost money. Because typically when you have a gadfly, they have to bring in the association's attorney to deal with that gadfly. So what are some suggestions on how you can best deal with a gadfly if you have somebody like this in your community? If they're coming to the board meetings and being difficult, we already talked about this, have meeting procedures that have been adopted by the board, announce those at, at the beginning of the board meeting if it's needed. Have it on your web page, have it in your meeting notice. These are the acceptable behavioral protocols for anyone who's attending the meeting, including the board. Then establish those procedures and enforce them uniformly. Can't let you know somebody who isn't the gadfly do something if the gadfly wouldn't be able to do it. So owner who maybe never ever interrupts at a board meeting interrupts, you have to just remind them no interrupting while the board is discussing this matter. The only time that owners are allowed to participate is during the homeowner forum or before the board takes formal action on something. Establish control. Make sure that if somebody interrupts or is speaking out of turn during the meeting, the board president should politely just remind that person that according to the meeting procedures, they shouldn't be doing that. Sometimes these gadflies come to the meeting looking for a fight and they it's like entertainment for them. And sometimes you have homeowners who come because there is a fight and we don't want that. We want if you have a gadfly that comes and is being difficult and looking for a fight at a board meeting, make sure that as a board that you are responding in a professional manner, non-argumentative way. You may even ask them to sidebar with you and maybe after the meeting, if they wouldn't mind staying a little bit later, we can talk about this issue more and I'll be able to help you then. But we can't take a half an hour at this meeting to discuss your specific issue because we have an agenda, a full agenda tonight. That's always helpful. But not raising your voice, not stooping to a level of name calling and getting into it with them because that's what they want. That's the fight that they're looking for when they're sending the nasty email or when they are sending you coming to the board meeting yelling and screaming. Okay, don't forget about parliamentary control at a board meeting. You can table things, you can do a point of order, you can ask them to stop their behavior, and then your second warning is that they have to leave the meeting. So these are all things that are helpful to help you navigate having a meeting where there's no conflict. Okay, what about when you have the difficult person come to you as a board member, or maybe they're emailing you as a board member or upset about something? First things first, individual board members, if you have somebody who's really difficult, 
I never suggest that the individual board members are meeting personally with the owner unless you have the support of the entire board. I'm going to be the person that meets with Johnny Appleseed to talk about the tennis courts because I'm a tennis player. I can talk the lingo. I understand. I'm interested in it too. I want them to be maintained. I responded to my board. Hey, I got this. I will meet with this person and I will get the information and then I'll report back to you at the next board meeting. But what you don't want to do is have Johnny Appleseed, let's say he's a difficult person, just start harassing all the individual board members and then it's spending a lot of time. If that's happening, then you really need to say... Please don't contact me individually as a board member. Please come to the board meeting to talk about this issue. And as a full board, we'll address it. When you're listening to the difficult owner, ask them to explain exactly what the issue is. Ask them what their solution is. It's interesting sometimes to hear them complain, but then they don't have a solution. Take a minute, compose yourself, think about your response. Like I said, non-argumentative tone, don't raise your voice. Let the other person calm down a little bit and try to give them a response that is going to address the issue or that will give them the answer to the issue in a reasonable period of time. Resist the urge to fight. Sometimes it's, it's hard when you're tired at the end of the night and you're at a board meeting and somebody's really being difficult or they catch you at a bad time. Don't fight with the owners. No one wins when you do that. It just escalates the situation more. And at a certain point, you may need to turn that difficult owner over to the attorney to handle. Some associations where we have what I would call really difficult owners who are either dangerous or who send a very high volume number of emails to the board or the management company or maybe even the entire community. And in those cases, the board just gets sick of dealing with it and it becomes a form of harassment. And they ask the attorney to send the owner a letter saying, okay, enough. You are not allowed to contact the manager or the board anymore. All communications need to go to the attorney. And that's an effective strategy to deal with some of the really difficult homeowners that you may be encountering in your time on the board. I hope you don't get to that point. That's just for really the most difficult type of people who, like I said, they're driving the board crazy, driving the management company crazy. We need to change our strategy so that they stop taking our time and wearing us down. Okay, there will be times, maybe somebody on this call here today is concerned about your safety serving on the board. And you have somebody whose harassment has risen to the level that, okay, this behavior is not okay anymore. And I have a whole laundry list of instances where I have seen this happen in an association. So what can you do? So under Arizona law, and this information is on our cheat sheet. So if you're involved in this in your association and you're feeling like there's a homeowner who has crossed the line, maybe they're making physical threats or you'll be sorry or leaving messages. I know where you live or I know you have pets or just weird stuff like that. We've seen it, leaving messages for the manager saying, I'm coming over and you'll be sorry. Under Arizona law, we do have certain remedies, but there's a very specific criteria in order to get court intervention. So here's how Arizona defines harassment. And this is right in the law. It's Arizona Revised Statute 12-1809. Harassment is a series of acts over any period of time that is directed at a specific person and that would cause a reasonable person to be seriously alarmed, annoyed, or harassed. And the conduct, in fact, seriously alarms, annoys, harasses the person 
and serves no legitimate person. So if you feel like you're crossing over into that zone where you've got an abusive homeowner that's harassing you as a board member, here's some tips. Number one, tell the individual to stop. Stop contacting me would be number one. Keep a journal entry of the date, time, and any calls after you tell them to stop. Put all the information in the journal, including your response. Keep everything. So if there's harassing emails or voicemails, make sure you're keeping those as evidence. If the harassment does not stop, consider having the attorney or the management company for your association sending the owner a letter telling them, or telling them to please stop harassing describing the behavior and stating that the individual is going to be subject to legal intervention if this behavior continues. And if the behavior continues, the harassing behavior continues, you can consider getting an injunction prohibiting harassment under Arizona law. This is in Arizona Revised Statute Section 12-1809. And so some examples of this would be like a board member who receives endless abusive telephone calls or who is assaulted verbally in public by an angry owner, maybe a voicemail or emails. You can consider going to court, getting an injunction, and then that owner would have to stay a certain number of feet away from you and have a no contact with you going forward. Now, these injunctions are not treated lightly by courts, and you're going to have to prove that it's a pattern of conduct by this owner that either is a physical threat, uh, like a threat, or is actual physical harm to you. It's going to need to be at least two threats of harm before they've actually physically harmed you, like maybe they pushed you at a board meeting or something like that. If there is an incident at a board meeting or when you're walking your dog where an owner harasses you, make sure you're contacting the police and having a police report done so there's more documentation and evidence in the event that you do go and get an injunction prohibiting harassment. And the procedure to do this, you can talk with your association's legal counsel about whether you think this situation has risen to the level of getting injunction permitting harassment. Basically, the procedure is you go to your local justice court, you have to fill out paperwork, and you have to attest to the fact this these incidents happened or this incident happened. You should bring your evidence so that the judge can hear it. The judge will issue an injunction, which is a piece of paper, against the owner, and you'll have to hire a process server to serve the owner with the paperwork, telling the owner that they have to stay a certain amount of feet away from you and they can't contact you anymore. The owner does have a right to a hearing, and that happens in these injunctions. So typically, the owner, if they disagree, they will ask for a hearing and the, everybody will go back to court. You as the person that's filing the injunction and the person that is has the injunction against them. And both sides will be able to plead their case to the judge and the judge will make a final decision. That's why it's so important to have all that documentation of the journal that we talked about with the different interactions with the owner, the emails, the voicemails, the police reports, all of that is really important so that if you do have to go to court, you have the evidence to support the fact that showing that this person has in fact been abusive to you. So I think we've given you some good tips on how to best handle dealing with difficult situations. The reality is being in associations, it's a business of working with lots of different people, right? Whether you're serving on the board, managing relationships between board members, Maybe it's managing a relationship with a management company, managing a relationship with your owners. Um, just some closing thoughts would be, just be professional in how you're handling your association affairs. 
this is a business just like any other business. And even though you're not being paid when you're serving as a board member and you're a volunteer, you still have to be professional and nice and caring and listen. And when owners are upset about something, using the strategies that we've talked about, listen to the problem, try to find a solution, follow up on anything that you gave your word that you would follow up on, communicate with your owners so that you don't have a lot of disgruntled owners. If you get somebody who's really difficult, and I'm sorry if you do, I probably have 50 owners right now in our office that boards have just said, I can't deal with this person anymore. We need you to intervene. If you're in that situation, get your legal counsel involved and have them help you manage that really difficult situation. It may be crossing over into harassment and you might be able to go get an injunction prohibiting harassment at your local justice court if you have the criteria met that we discussed here today. So I wish all of you the best of luck. I hope that the strategies that we've been here today will help you better manage difficult owners so that your time on the board is stress-free and productive and you're getting things done versus constantly having to manage the difficult owner or owners in your community. Okay, we're gonna switch gears right now and talk about our questions. So at the end of every Neighborhood Services Virtual HOA Academy, we ask for questions for people who are listening in. And I'm proud to say that today we have over 82 people joining us on Zoom and we had over 30 viewers on Facebook. So thanks everybody for being here today. We're gonna cross over right now and start answering questions. So it looks like we have a, a good number of questions here today. I'm, I'm seeing over 15 already, so awesome. So our first question is from a board member who is also a treasurer in your association. I am a recently elected board member of our association and I'm the treasurer. I noticed that our management company was passing through to our homeowners an additional charge beyond the late charge for past due quarterly assessment. It's my understanding that the association is limited to charging a late charge under the Planned Communities Act of $15 or 10% of the assessment, whichever is greater. Any costs that we incur in the collection of past due assessments is a cost that the association needs to absorb. Is this correct? Great question. So what I would need to know to help you manage this question would be, what does the management contract say between the association and the management company? In a management contract, there's typically what we call an Exhibit A, and that outlines all the different charges that a management company can charge as per their contract. I don't know if this might be like a rebilling fee that the management company is charging or if it's a collection cost that they, maybe they're sending a letter and they're charging the owner for the collection cost. So I would probably need to know more information. Based upon what you're telling me, you're just saying they're passing through an additional charge. So if they're calling it a late fee and you're a planned community, you are limited under the law to the $15 or 10% of the assessment, whichever is greater. That is the maximum late fee you can charge in a planned community. If you're a condo, there is no such limitation, so I wanna make sure I make that caveat. If it's a collection charge for maybe sending out a reminder letter or something, that is 
okay under Arizona law. You can collect collection charges in, of that nature and attorney's fees would also be covered um, under that. You can lean for those. If it's a rebilling fee, assuming that they're sending out a letter and that's what their rebilling is regarding the violation, that's probably okay too. So I would just need to know more information. If it's called like an add-on late fee, that's not going to be okay under the law because it appears that you've already maxed out what you can charge under the Planned Communities Act. Next question is from an owner. How do you deal with the board president who wants to hold executive sessions to talk about an owner behind their back? Not one of the five reasons given under the state statute. If you question the board president, she gets mad. Even if the owner points out the reason for holding the meeting is illegal, she wants to ignore the objection and hold the meeting anyways. What should be done? Okay, it's always hard when you're an owner and you're not on the board and the board goes into executive session to discuss one of the five topics that they can talk about during executive sessions, which just quickly would be like advice from your attorney and pending or contemplated litigation. Maybe you're talking about personal health or financial information about an owner in the association, independent contractor or an employee of the association. Maybe talking about the job performance of or compensation of a vendor or an employee of the association. It's hard when you're the owner because you're not there so you don't really know what they're talking about so do we know for sure that they're talking about an owner behind their back well you don't because you're not there maybe you've got somebody who's leaking information and that's a whole other violation in and of itself but a couple things so how do we deal with this well i think one suggestion would be make sure that your board is aware of the open meeting law and the different types of things that they can go into executive session to discuss. And a great thing to do would be give them our cheat sheet on running a board meeting. It's called board meetings and that outlines very specifically what are the procedures for going into executive session, what are the topics. So remind them, friend, a friendly reminder that these are the topics that you're only allowed to discuss. And then also hold the board accountable. They should be putting on their notice of the executive session meeting, which of the five topics they're discussing during executive session. And really that's all you can do as an owner. You should consider running for the board. If you want to be more involved in board actions and executive sessions, that's something that you can do. You can remind the board of their obligations, like I talked about. If you think that there are violations of the law going on, you can start a removal petition for your board and see if you have the support of the community. Next question, if our rules are silent on assembly, are we required to affirmatively publicize the right to assemble or establish a written policy. So this question is going to be new legislation, which is going to be going into effect 91 days after the legislative session ends. This is all very new because just last week, the law was signed by the governor. Here's what I would recommend to associations. Don't overcorrect, okay? The reality of this is I think that 99% of associations are not going to be having peaceful assembly by owners to discuss association issues. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think probably there's going to be very few associations that encounter this. So I think an overcorrection would be passing rules now regarding how this is a new law. Now we need a rule, another rule. Um, then I sometimes I, I scratch my head a little bit when I see different companies putting out, oh, you can buy the rules from us. Now there's a new law. It's like a cash cow, right? I mean, I'm not suggesting that approach here. We will, as a firm, be putting out rules for free on the 
artificial turf and um, peaceful assembly. But I think you should take a wait and see approach and not overcorrect and start publicizing. If you're going to have public assembly, here are the rules for it and see if it's really something that's going to be an issue in your community. So peacefully assembling, it's already been happening in your association, right? People are talking at the pool and we've seen over the years, maybe homeowner groups that are upset about something. Maybe they have their own little side meeting at the gazebo and it hasn't been a big deal. Okay. What could be a big deal is if you're bringing in the political candidate, like the law says, or a non-member guest and it's a controversial issue. That's when you really need to be thinking about, okay, we need to be thinking about what rules we need in place so that if there is a large number of people in our common areas that it's safe and that nobody gets injured, etc. Do I see that happening in a lot of associations? No. If you feel that this might happen in your association, that's the time to kick it in gear and to consider some rules that keep in mind the safety and preservation of your common areas so things don't get damaged. Okay, so are you required to affirmatively publicize this? No. The law says that it's right. I'm sure there'll be plenty of newspaper articles and there'll be a lot of people discussing this. Do you have to establish a written policy? No. This is something that you can do if you think this is going to be an issue in your association. Okay, question number four. How do you suggest we deal with homeowners wanting the HOA to provide a safety patrol to prevent theft or violence in an ungated community? It is my opinion that because we are not gated, there is no legal expectation of providing this service. It is also my opinion that it's the responsibility of each owner to take care of their own property. Homeowners should call the police if there is an issue on their own property or in the common areas. Okay, so I have a really good cheat sheet on limiting liability. It's called theft and prevention, how to prevent theft and fraud. I have another one on keeping the common areas safe and free from crime that I would recommend that you take a look at on our website. And that just gives tips that boards can do to make sure that they're keeping their common areas safe and free from crime. Okay, you've got a sticky wicket here because you've got homeowners who want a safety patrol. So my backup question is, do you have issues? Are you seeing cars being broken into? Are you having assaults in your community? Is there something going on that is prompting the owners to want us to up our game and have a security patrol? And on our cheat sheet, we give some different suggestions and we talk about an important case in Arizona called the Martinez versus Woodmark case. And in that case, it did involve an association that had a security patrol and then they decided for financial reasons to eliminate the security patrol. And during this entire time, they had some issues with gang activity in their community. And so the bottom line in that case is associations do have a responsibility to keep common areas safe and free from crime. Now, whether or not that extends into paid safety patrol or not, I don't know. I don't know the facts. I don't know if you have the budget for that. But this cheat sheet that we have gives you some really great suggestions on what are some things that boards can do to make sure that their common areas are safe and free from crime. Maybe you start a block watch and typically that's done by homeowners. So maybe if you are serving on your board and your owners are asking for this, put them in touch with your local police precinct and start a block watch. Maybe you have to start publicizing to the residents about, hey, we've had some break-ins. Don't forget to close your garage at night. 
Don't forget to not leave valuable articles within view in your vehicle if it's parked in front of your property. Or maybe you have to take more serious steps where there's enough people upset about this that, hey, maybe we do need to have a security patrol coming through our community. So you have to look at it based on the facts on a case-by-case basis, but I really encourage you as a board to look at our cheat sheet because there's a lot of things you can do that can limit the board's liability and also help provide safer common areas in your association. Okay, next question, number five. While supervising a vendor in our community, an owner who did not approve of the repairs being made pinned me against the wall and punched me. I have a restraining order against the owner due to two other displays of violence towards other board members. We are about to remove a small grass area in our community. Unfortunately, this common area that is going to be worked on is in front of this owner's unit, and I fear retribution as a result. How can I protect myself and perhaps the vendors who will be doing the work? Okay, a couple things. I think you're on the board based upon the way that this question is worded. Obviously, you have a really difficult owner, and if you already have an injunction prohibiting harassment against this owner, a court also agrees that this person is a difficult owner. So one thing that if I were advising your association, one thing that I would consider would be hiring a security guard or an off-duty police officer to help supervise this project that you're going to be doing adjacent to the owner's property. I would have really good communication with that owner so that they're aware that this work's being done. And I would talk about it at an open board meeting, give that owner an opportunity to be heard if they're opposed to it or whatever. It doesn't mean you're going to change your mind. It's just making sure that they're aware this is what is happening and you have an opportunity to let us hear how you feel about it. If he can't come to the meeting because of the injunction, maybe he can appear by Zoom or he or she can appear by Zoom or maybe write a response. Having somebody, an off-duty police officer, is recommended. I also would notify the vendor of the situation so that when they are present, that they are aware of their surroundings and they know that, hey, this is going to be potentially something that could be difficult. I think these are all really good suggestions. And then the next question is just make sure that if you're removing this small grass area, make sure that the reason why you're doing it is legitimate and it's not in any way to get back at this owner or something like that because we certainly don't want to do anything to fan some fire that's already raging. Okay, next question is from Facebook. So we are being made aware of a water crisis. How does this impact artificial grass? What I would say is the new legislation this year, which prohibits associations from prohibiting artificial grass, is a direct result of lots of discussions throughout our state about the water crisis and some of the new mandates that are going to be imposed by state agencies regarding how water is used in associations in the future. So how does this impact it? I think we're seeing our state making it known that associations will be prohibited from not allowing artificial grass in associations going forward. And I think we're already seeing a large amount of turf conversions from turf to desert landscaping. That's a very common thing that associations are doing. And there's some of them are getting grants from the different cities that they live in, which are 50-50 grants, where the association pays 50%, that maybe the city has a grant program, where the, the 
city agency within the city helps pay 50% of the project. So I think these are all direct results of the ongoing water crisis in Arizona. I think we can expect there's going to be more green legislation in the future to limit associations and other large landowners from using an excessive amount of water. Next question, number seven, members that are not board members, can they make motions or second motions? No, they can't. If the board wants to hear from the member about a topic, of course, they can hear about it during the owner forum, or a member can make a comment before the board takes formal action, but only a board member can make a, a motion at a regular board meeting. Now, if we're at like an annual meeting, same strategy. So can an owner make a motion or second a motion at an owner meeting, such as like a meeting of the membership or like a removal meeting or an annual meeting? Owners can make comments, but a meeting of the membership is not a time to be making a motion or seconding a motion other than the approval of last year's meeting minutes. But to make a motion to increase the assessment rate at an annual meeting is not an appropriate motion. Okay, next question, number eight. You mentioned putting in or changing our CCNR's length of time minimums on short-term rentals. Must this be done there, or can we change this through our rules and regulations? 99% of the time, that is something that will need to be in your CCNR's, unless the language in your CCNR's gives you the authority to pass minimum time rentals for short-term rentals or something like that. So we don't see that very often. 99% of the time, this is going to need to be something that is, needs to be placed in your CCNRs, and you'll have to follow the amendment procedure in your CCNRs to do that. Question number nine. My community has major issues with our board of directors due to a number of incidents. Many of us would be interested in having an outside company manage the association and take it out of the board's hands. How can we do this when the board is the problem? Okay, so we have a classic case of owners who are unhappy with how the board is running things and they think that things could be better run by bringing in a management company. So really the decision maker on how to spend association money or whether or not to hire a management company is made by the board. And so I recommend that if you are unhappy with your board that you consider running for the board so you can be a decision maker and make determinations of this nature. Another option would be to remove the board. If enough members in your community are in favor of removing the board, the process to remove a board member from office is outlined in our top 10 things you need to know about Arizona law cheat sheet. It's number six on the flip side of the cheat sheet, and that will go over, give you an overview of the procedure. Remember that that trumps your association's bylaws provisions on removal of directors. State law is controlling on that. So run for the board, think about removing your board, suggest to your board that having an outside company might make their jobs easier. Maybe the board will listen if you give that suggestion to them. Next question, number 10. Can you please provide some meeting conduct rules? If you send me an email at bmulcahylawfirm.com, I can definitely give you some sample rules that you can implement in your association. But remember, every association is different. So if you're having problems, you're going to want to fine tune and tweak those to make sure that you're covering any potential issues that your association is facing. Okay, question number 11. The Arizona Supreme Court, in the recent case, considered CCNRs as special contracts. 
Does a special contract mean anything to you, or is there a legal definition or clear guidance on what constitutes a special contract? I absolutely love this question because I thought it was very odd that the Supreme Court of Arizona also characterized CCRs as special contracts. Maybe they're doing it because the terms of the contract aren't negotiated by all parties because the, the restrictions in the contract, the CCNRs run with the land. And when you fall in love with a house that has deed restricted, CCNR restricted community, you're, you get what you get, right? Because the CCNRs are, are already in place and you're buying the home or the unit in the association. But one thing to think about is you had a choice to not buy that home. And under the disclosure laws, you got a copy of the CCNRs before you purchased your unit or lot. So you did have a choice. You could choose not to buy the house, choose not to enter into the contract. Regardless, I agree that's a really great take. It's interesting that you picked up on those words because I it's a contract nonetheless. And it is surprising to me that the Arizona Supreme Court feels that they can intervene in a private contractual relationship. In some instances, that could be perceived as overreaching. So just my thoughts. Next question, number 12. We have always had a 30-day minimum rental in our CCNRs, but the owner turned his inherited home into an Airbnb and is regularly renting it for the past month for weekends only. Sometimes we, there are loud parties. We had an attorney send him a violation notice. If it doesn't stop, do you recommend a lawsuit? Are courts backing HOAs? Will the owner have to pay our legal fees? So all really good questions. And this is from somebody on Facebook. So thanks for being here today. Okay, so if you have a minimum rental period in your CCNRs and you have an owner that is leasing for less than the 30-day minimum rental period, which is in your CCNRs, this is definitely actionable, meaning that if they don't stop doing it, you most definitely can file a lawsuit. It is very likely if you have good evidence that you're going to prevail in the lawsuit and you will be awarded your reasonable attorney's fees. All of the facts that you're giving me here today prove that, yes, this does appear to be a good case if this owner doesn't stop violating the 30-day minimum rental period. One caveat I want to say is it's always hard to prove that these people are renting because they say, they tell the tenant, don't tell anybody you're only here for the weekend and they maybe do a lease in writing for a whole month but the person's really only there for like two days and then they say, oh, they broke the lease and there's all kinds of games on this. So you want to make sure that you have your evidence documented really well and you can always subpoena the rental company for more information and I can help prove. Probably in this case, this person is really going to have a difficult time defending this so they might just start following the rule after you file a lawsuit. Okay, next question from a long-term client of mine who is now a homeowner from Facebook. So great to see her today. If an owner designates a renter to be their representative in their absence in writing, does the board have to allow this person all the rights of an owner at board meeting? So yes, this, this brings into play the designated agent portion of the open meeting law in Arizona. So an owner can designate in writing a third party, it could be anybody, it could be a renter, it could be a family member based on the deed, to be their designated representative at a board meeting and or a designated representative at the annual meeting. Now, 
their rights at a board meeting would be that they can attend, listen, and participate just regular owner would. If they've got the piece of paper and they've given that to the association that's signed by the owner saying, Johnny Appleseed is my designated agent, that person then can come and attend, listen, and participate at a regular board meeting, just like the owner would. Now, if the owner's there too, only one of them can talk, right? You can't have, this is my designated agent, I'm going to talk, and now my designated agent's going to talk. No, you can't do that. Only one of you could talk. The designated agent could also come to like your annual meeting or meeting of the membership, but they cannot vote. That right to vote cannot be given through that designated agent form. It also cannot be given through a power of attorney, surprisingly. Only the record owner of the lottery unit can vote at an owner's meeting. Now, the designated agent could come to the annual meeting, attend, and make a comment, but they would not be able to vote. And suggestions for dealing with homeowners who several times a year get annoyed with a neighbor because of parking. The neighbor may have four to six cars parked in front of their house from about nine to five daily for a week. The homeowners just don't like the cars being parked in the street. No driveways are being blocked, etc. They have been told time and time again, no rules are being violated. Yet every time it happens, many complaints to the property management company and to the members of the board. This has been going on for years, all caps. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about this. So the first thing that I would say, just objectively looking at this, is what do your documents say about parking? Your CCNRs, does it say that owners must park their vehicles in their driveways? Can guests come and park on the streets? Is it only during the day? Can they do overnight street parking? All these are questions I don't know the answer to. I guess, I'm going to have to generalize here, but assuming that they have the right to park in the street and that no CCNRs are being violated, you said no rules, but I also would say maybe no CCNRs are being violated on this. What I would recommend to the owner that's unglued about the neighbor and parking their vehicles is say, hey, this is a neighbor to neighbor dispute. Try to talk about it with your neighbor. Maybe consider private mediation. Express to them that you don't like this when they do this and see if you can work it out yourselves because this isn't our issue because it is not in violation of our CCNRs. You may want to check in with your city, town, or municipality to see if they have any thoughts on this, their code enforcement department. And if the owner that's complaining continues to complain and this is going nowhere because the CCNRs allow what the other owner is doing, maybe it's time to escalate it to your attorney and say, please stop contacting us on this. We've given you the path to resolve this with your neighbor. We hope that you can resolve it, but please stop contacting us on this. And any future communications with the association on this need to go to the attorney because now it's crossed over by the point of harassment where you're constantly contacting us on this. Okay, question number 14. And just to give you a little question check, we only have 18 questions. So we have, let's see, four more questions. The next question is, let's see. We have a very difficult board president who makes unilateral decisions, some unlawful according to Arizona statute. She also personally attacks homeowners in meetings when she is presented with statute. She is censuring our homeowners on our website. It is a homeowner website, not a board website. She wants nothing negative said about her actions. What is the best course of action? 
This is difficult. Okay, so a board president should not be making unilateral decisions. So one board member doesn't make decisions for the entire board. A majority of the board makes decisions. Now, a majority of the board can delegate. We're asking the president to meet with the vendor and to select what type of ground cover we're going to use or something like that. You can do that as a board. You can delegate that responsibility to one board member, but the board member shouldn't be oligarch making all the decisions unilaterally. That's something that's not good. Okay. Personally attacking homeowners when homeowners provide evidence of potential violations of the law. And that kind of goes both ways. I'm not going to lie to you because sometimes we've got, well, personal attacks, first of all, should never be happening. Okay. Sometimes you've got like a Hatfields and McCoy situation between owners and the board. And I don't like seeing that. Remember, the board needs to be the bigger person, so to speak, and they need, they're running the business. They need to treat it like a business, be respectful of the owners. And in return, the owners also need to be respectful of the board and throwing a paper airplane at the board during the meeting saying you're violating the open meeting law or something, that may not be the best way to get your point across. So be respectful in how you notify the board that you think there's a problem. And in return, the board should be treating all owners professionally and respectfully. Using the website to call out people I never think that's a good idea. We've had questions like that in the past where should we put the names of the owners that have violations in their lot or that aren't paying their assessments on our website? I really don't recommend doing that. It doesn't work because usually those people aren't even going to the website. They don't care. And it's just potentially putting you in line of liability in the event that you're wrong and somebody sees it and potentially sues the association for defaming them. So we don't think that's a good policy. And sometimes it's hard to take criticism when you're serving on the board. Apparently this board president doesn't want anything negative said about our actions, but constructive feedback can sometimes be helpful for everybody. So I would encourage boards to listen when people are upset about something and try to find some common ground and see, take a look in the mirror and see if maybe your actions need to be adjusted. Okay, so if you do all this and it's still not working, what's your best course of action? As a homeowner, if you have a number of other like-minded people, you could try to remove the board president from office. You could hire an attorney to send a letter to the board regarding some of these issues. You could run for the board yourself. You can move. You have lots of different choices on how you handle this. Okay, last three questions regarding House Bill 2158. Does this allow sunup to sunset solicitation? It's door to door in a condo association of individuals promoting state and federal candidates. Can a gated community refuse entrance to political petitioners? So, no, I do not. It's my opinion that this new House Bill 2158 doesn't allow for solicitation promoting state and federal candidates. It does allow peaceful assembly. That doesn't say solicitation. It's just allows an assembly. Can a gated community refuse entrance to political petitioners? You can have no trespassing signs, no solicitation signs, and if it's gated, you can refuse access. Obviously, if somebody wants to have a peaceful assembly and they invite one non-owner, an owner can invite one non-owner on a new statute to talk about an issue, that may directly affect your association, they certainly would have the right to do that. But solicitation and door-to-door solicitation is not something that this new law allows for. 
Okay, our board sometimes conducts what they call work study meetings between regular meetings, free of our property manager and the formality of regular meetings and the open meeting law. Are these legal if we are just meeting more time on more difficult agenda items and working through board questions on topics? Sometimes the meetings, the regular meetings don't allow for us time to work on these things. So anytime you have a quorum of the board discussing association business, even if it's all the work study and even if you're not making decisions, if you're quorum of the board discussing association business, that is an open meeting and you must follow the Arizona open meeting laws. And so you would have to follow the formality of the Arizona open meeting law. Some ways around this is to have less than a quorum meet to prep for issues. If you have a more difficult agenda item, have less than a quorum of the board meet and that would not be a violation of the open meeting law. Okay, last question. Is there a time when the entire CCNRs would be entirely rewritten? I'm never a proponent of taking the CCNRs and throwing them in a trash can and starting over. I think every association has different needs. Every association has different common areas. So there's no one-fits-all CCNR set that's out there that everybody should just adopt because every association is different in terms of what amenities they have, how large they are, what type of maintenance responsibilities they have, etc. And so what we would recommend as a good pointer or a best practices type thing would be about every decade your association should be doing just a general update of your CCNRs to bring it in compliance with any changes that may have occurred in Arizona law or to update it, clean it up a little bit, your CCNRs, so that they stay with the times and so that they are living, breathing, useful document for your community as your community evolves and as the legislature writes new laws that apply to associations. We have a great cheat sheet on five-step plan for amending CCNRs that you may want to take a look at, which would be helpful in giving the reasons why ours and giving you a successful five-step plan that could help your community if you're thinking about amending your CCNRs. Okay, so just a quick recap of today. We had about an hour of our presentation and then we've had about 39 minutes of questions. We had 18 questions total. Over 82 people with us here on Zoom, over 30 viewers on Facebook Live. What a great turnout. So happy to be partnering with these numerous different cities to provide this great learning opportunity and a free place where you can come and ask questions. I look forward to our future classes. We have these neighborhood services, virtual HOA Condo Academy once a month. So it's always the third Tuesday each month. So our next one's going to be the third Tuesday in May. We also have some additional special classes coming up. Last week, I taught a class for the city of Chandler and I'm going to be teaching a few more with the city of Chandler and those are actually in person. My next one is going to be next Wednesday evening. And for those of you who have registered and are participating in the Chandler H3 Academy, I'll see you in person next Wednesday. Otherwise, I'm going to see all of you virtually, or our firm's going to be seeing all of you virtually. Don't forget, we've got our May 6th virtual First Friday free call-in. I have Hayden DiLorenzo from our firm that's going to be handling that particular one for our firm. So I know you're going to enjoy her presentation and also her answers to your questions. And then, of course, we urge you to join us next month for our virtual H2A Condo Academy class number five. And that's scheduled on Tuesday, May 17th at 11 a.m. Next month's topic 
topic is how can we effectively work with management company and vendors? And we're going to have a Q&A session at the end where you can ask questions at no charge. Just wanted to thank you again for being here today. I hope you'll be joining us in the future for our future virtual classes. I'd also just like to thank again the different cities that we're partnering with for these classes. We're very appreciative of the opportunity to work with you as a team member to provide free education for the different residents in the cities of Avondale, Chandler, Glendale, Goodyear, Mesa, Peoria, Phoenix, Scottsdale, Surprise, and Tempe. So thanks for being here today. Look forward to future classes with you and I hope everybody has a great rest of the week. Take care. Don't forget our free cheat sheets are available for download at mulcahylawfirm.com. They attend our Zoom, Facebook Live, First Friday free call-in, videos, and podcasts is to provide a forum for board members and community managers to receive answers to HOA and condo legal questions. Please note, the content in these sessions are general in nature and is not intended to and should not be relied upon or construed as legal opinion or legal advice regarding any specific issue or factual circumstance. You should directly consult with an attorney for advice regarding your individual situation.